Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. Once again, I am Catherine Troyer, and once again, I am joined by Anthony Tresca. Ho, ho, hello there. Oh, how long were you sitting on that? Um, when did we record the first episode? Oh, gosh. I- I've, been think- I've been thinking about it for a while, but I wanted to save it for our spooktacular episode today. Yay! So, uh, I just put that one away in the in the bag of puns, so that then I could give that gift to all of our listeners on Ugh. today, Christmas Day. Ugh. So, um, for those of you that have joined us before, or if you if this is your very first time and you're already unsure because that <laughs> that pun just has pushed you right on the ledge, this is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific. And just the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us today for our discussion of 2019's Black Christmas. So this is indeed a spooktacular episode as we are releasing it on uh, Christmas Day as part of our cycle and as our um, sort of capstone on our Black Christmases. So we've worked our way through uh, the 1973 film and the 2006 film, um, and we highly encourage you to listen to both of those because I do actually think there's a, a very interesting narrative that that emerges in seeing them uh in relationship to one another which Mm -hmm. even though if you were to not have the films be called black christmas i'm not sure i would say to you hey anthony i have these three films that i found that i think build a beautiful relationship together but since they are all named black christmas since they all are operating under that umbrella um there is a relationship that that is forced to emerge and it's a really Mm -hmm. interesting one to kind of see how it has evolved um, yeah. where we've ended up that is I think both finally getting back to the spirit of the 73 film but also I think failing um, still to capture the magic of, of the 1973 Black Christmas yeah it's really frustrating that the most feminist ver- film was made in 1973 the most yes. feminist version of this text was made in the 70s yes uh, it's I mean I it's kind of ridiculous, I mean, but and a little sad. It is, and it's <laughs> I think it's particularly sad because the 2019 film is trying to be as yeah. about feminist as it can get. And and I think that it, you know, we even have a female director and writer, which is lovely and and yeah. always exciting to see. And we have some some actresses that have since gone on to do lots of other great things. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the lead actress. She's in an indie film. Uh, her name is Imogene Poots. She's in The Art of Self-Defense with Jesse Eisenberg. It's a fantastic film. She's a great yes. actress. Yes. And then I think that's one of the things that this film had that was at its best is that the caliber of the acting of all characters, I think, was at the highest uh, for the 2019 because the 73, you know, had some some sort of hammy characters that 
that you didn't really need to have great actors for. You just needed to have, you know, someone that could could be over the top. But this film tried really hard to have very real female characters. And so you would think um, that it would be potentially our most feminist one. But what is it for you um, that prevents the 2019 film from being able to claim that label? Well, I think it's primarily the introduction of magic into the film, which is an element that is not present in the 1973 version and is not present in the 2006 version. This film chooses to equate all of the killings uh, as being from this magic goo that's in the bust of the founder of their university and is causing all these boys to go full alpha and do all these things. And I I think that 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 leads to some really problematic things in terms of the, the ultimate themes and message that we're supposed to take away from the film. I agree. So let's, let's talk through the magic and then let's talk about some of the other places where this film may, may not be quite as successful as it hoped in terms of um, it's, it's gendered message. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Problem one with the magic uh, is that when you introduce this idea that the reason that these dude bros have become extra dude bro-y is specifically because of an external supernatural element. Mm-hmm. Um, an external supernatural element that's tied very specifically to a slave owner, right? So like the baddest of the bad as far as yep. America gets. Um, that completely removes any of the potential to have a conversation about how maybe toxic masculinity is actually a cultural um, issue and responsibility and not just, you know, something that can be fixed by a coven. Yeah, I I think it really serves to downplay a lot of the really serious issues that get brought up in this film. And it really really serves to just kind of like, be like, yeah, these problems, they, they're not that bad. And when, if you just like get remove the magic, uh, it'll be fine. It's that it's it, it's super. It like makes it feel like it's not really a real problem, even though it is a real problem. And so I'm left fe- feeling very frustrated by this juxtaposition that the movie forces on the viewer. And I I think it's exacerbated by the idea that it's not just this particular group of of men. It's it's all men have the potential to have this alpha unleashed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that's actually a very problematic message because it first implies that the idea that, that boys will be boys is actually true, right? That that yeah. if, if allowed to channel their ultimate alphaness, they will be um, how we expect them to be. Um, and there's even the line, you know, where the the security guard says boys will be boys. And then he like pauses and we under supposed to understand that. Like he knows that he shouldn't have said that, but the film is actually reinforcing that message by suggesting yeah. that anyone, including um, our romantic, you know, male lead um, has Landon. the potential. Yes. Landon has the potential to succumb at least temporarily. And the fact that the only male who managed to break free was also um, an other 
uh, racially. Um, we kind of get the impression um, socioeconomically. Um, and at least we, socially as well. He doesn't, yeah, he's not shown to have any other friends in the exactly. university setting. That was a really profoundly problematic and simplistic construction. And I know a lot of the criticism that exists about this film is centered on this idea that it just it creates too clean of, of good and evil and it does so the moment that magic is introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, we we talked about the fact that there are other problems that emerge by using this magic framework. Yeah, and I think that a big thing that caused me a lot of discomfort and I think it's just frustrating about the film is that it brings up a very serious subject of rape culture that is perpetuated by frats at universities. And this could honestly be broadened to just rape culture that exists in our society today, because particularly in America, we have a culture of rape. Um, And that is a real problem. And the film forces us to think about this as being a real problem. But yet the film then simultaneously equates this rape to the magic-y elements that are going on in the film, which then undermines the severity of the rape that this main character uh, experiences. And it's just like, oh, well, if there was no magic, then it wouldn't have happened. Uh, It's just, which is frustrating, I think. Yeah, and and I think for me, it's a similar issue that, that what bothered me is this idea that it suggested that rape is just as not unlikely, but just as, as supernatural, right? Like just as like, it's not of this world, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not caused by systemic issues. Um, it's caused by the need for this cabal of men to take over the world. Yeah. And I think it further does, it, it further removes it from the real world by only showing the rape in dream flashbacks. And so it it really, it does everything it can to remove the rape from being within the real world that it firmly establishes and kind and by and since it also establishes that magic is in this other real world and it kind of frames the magic in a different way we're left to we are left with no choice but to equate the two and that is frankly problematic and it's deeply frustrating uh it's a deeply frustrating depiction it is and if we remove ourselves one from from the magic, but still talking about about the theme of rape, um, I also think it's a it's a problematic message for a film that is so obviously articulating itself as a feminist film that um, that there is one way to overcome rape, and that is to be a fighter. Um, and I'm not saying that one should forever dwell um, within trauma to the point that you're not able to live your life, right? I, I don't think that it is fair to ask people to, to, to feel always like they are broken. Um, but I don't think necessarily that the opposite of, of being a victim is being a fighter in the way that this film depicts mm-hmm. being a fighter. Because it's not just it's not just the literal fighting that happens at the end, right? When she has that epiphany and joins her fellow sisters, um, it's it's also other moments 
um, such as you should have to confront um, your uh-huh. the perpetrator of the crime, right? You should have to confront them. You should have to be aggressive. Um, and I don't know. I just, I thought that was, was a problematic low-key narrative that kind of ran through that was that because it was low key and because we are shown that she is being rewarded for being a fighter at the end, um, I think yeah. could easily slip under the radar. But it just struck me as as not as again creating this really simplistic dichotomy that a more nuanced understanding of, of feminism relies more heavily on on the idea of intersectionality mm-hmm. that that our identities are shaped by all of these converging, um, but not necessarily harmonious elements. And of course that comes to us from, from black feminism, which, which realized that the like second wave feminism was not quite, and third, um, and third, that neither of them were understanding that, that we could not have a homogenous, uh, definition of what it meant to be female or what it meant to, to be feminist. And, and I think, in part by using this metaphor of, of sisterhood, right, mm-hmm. and of the ants, and like actually saying like ants are all this work together. You yeah, we are all the all same, more or less the you same, can't kill right? Us exactly. We are that, the same. That it created a little bit of a of a problematic um, construct. Yeah, I think it paints all women as being the same and all men as being the same, in which intersectionality a more intersectional approach would solve because it takes it into account the multiple systems of oppression that are based on many different individuals based on their different backgrounds and that includes socioeconomic that includes gender race all of these various things whereas this film really wants i think it i think it wants to have that larger systemic critique of the problem but it just it doesn't do it because by embracing this metaphor of the fighter, it really does make it seem like an individual thing. Like if you just fight hard enough and like you get away from, from that person and you like beat up the person who raped you, you're gonna be fine forever. But that doesn't actually do anything to fix the larger cultural problem that has created a culture that is so tolerant of rape, that allows and encourages men and women. It's, it's rape culture yes. applies to, is, is a larger systemic problem that applies to ev- it's it's everyone, and and I'm glad you brought that up because the film tries to briefly introduce that idea right through the the character of Helena. Mm-hmm. But I would like to quickly remind people of the names of our characters mm-hmm. because our four female characters who are not all going to make it, but who are sort of like the core four are named Riley, Chris. Marty and Jess and and our only character who's gonna have this super weird um like we just have to accept our place to step behind them but we still get to be in the parade or like whatever it is that she said her name is Helena right she has a feminine name and and I don't know there's just like there's something really strange about the way that this film constructed all of this and 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 tried to say you know it's not just the men that subscribe to the system it's women women have to support it Mm -hmm. 
in order for it to continue to exist. And I'm not saying that women are supporting rape, right? But I'm saying that the mentality of boys will be boys is supported as much by women as it is yeah. men. Um, the director, the writer, raises this idea in this film that like women are a problem, a part can be part of the problem too. And then it just quickly, before we could get anywhere interesting with that, has um, you know them kill her, mm-hmm. and the men are like, "Sorry, babe, you know it's for take one for the team," and and I thought that instead that character could have been so terrifying. Yeah. She could have been such an interesting, fascinating character because she's the one that at the beginning of the film we think um, is possibly being raped, right? So, so like, there, right? Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's just so much that could have been done. Yeah. I mean, because there is a lot of, like, women against feminist movements. And, I mean, there are the, the Phyllis Chapel, Chapel 3, I cannot, I cannot. I can never remember how to pronounce her last name. She's the woman who pronounced, who was against the Equal Rights Amendment, the passage of that. Oh. She is, she argued so effectively and is the, re- is the reason we don't have the Equal Rights Amendment in the Constitution uh, today. And she was a woman and she was arguing these things and arguing how it would set back women by ha- having these things. And so there are really interesting things to be done with that, with that type of a character because we've seen them in real life and it continues to happen over and over again. I mean, it's this kind of, I think this film falls into girl boss feminism in where it's just like, yeah, if we just like put women in things, it'll be great. That's it. Yeah. And I, it's like, I don't know. I, that's not necessarily true. Women can just as easily oppress other women uh and other people in general just people in general it's not there's no difference there and i i think it just falls into that really simplistic ideology of like girl boss feminism i think so and i think that through all of these elements um i'm not sure this film even other than just having the qualities that that carol clover ticks off in her description of what a slasher film is I'm not sure that her underlying argument about um, the the sort of ways in which audiences um, use the final girl to identify with um, and to, to resonate with because they, they can't resonate with the male killer, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's sort of central to her argument of her body himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think that this film doesn't even really work within that framework. Um, and I'm not saying that it should, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have films that manage to go beyond I mean, that. At as this we point. said with the with the 2006 version of Black Christmas, our big problems with that was that it just felt like it was only the framework. Exactly, and I think that this film tried tried really hard to to break free from that framework in a lot of um, respects. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't think that it succeeded and maybe it didn't succeed because it it allowed itself to be a black christmas you know maybe it needed to be called something else um it's not like we don't have other films that are set in sororities Mm -hmm. that are horror films i can think of like three or four off the top of my head (laughs) um you know it could have been called anything dark christmas sorority christmas i mean you know like even if, if it had to be called christmas at all i just yeah i think that this film 
spent so much time trying to break out of the formula that it it went as far as it could, but that was too simplistic, mm-hmm. right? If instead it had just said, I don't even know what that framework was, I'm going to start from here and move forward, I think it would have had more success. But instead, it is a complete opposite in many ways of the slasher film, but that's not good enough. Yeah. Not in 2019. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that everything in this film is bad and doesn't work. In fact, I, I quite liked um, about half of the movie because I think the first half does a really nice job of just allowing us to be with these characters. And I, I, I really liked the characters, just flat out, like, like in, end of sentence. I thought that they were pretty interesting. I, I liked it, everything that was going on in their lives. I liked the actresses that were playing with the, playing them. I thought that they even occasionally got some really funny one-liners here and there and like the script put them in pretty interesting situations. It's just as soon as they introduced the element of magic into the film, not even the characters and the actors could save the could save what the script was making them do and say. Yeah, I think, yeah, so so speaking of other things that, that I think are worth praising, I very much appreciated, um, not only did the, we get to sit with the characters, but I think we wanted to sit with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of my criticisms of a lot of horror is, is I don't know why we need to, to dislike every character or why every character has to be so fundamentally icky at their yeah. core. Um, and... And I will admit, I thought it was a little too, um, like, I'm not sure I'm going to ask someone if I can borrow a feminine hygiene product that has to be washed out and returned. Um, like, I, and I don't know, you know, honestly, I, I very intentionally never had a desire to, as an introvert, to live in a sorority house. Mm-hmm. Um, so who, so I realized that I am not. I am not that person who would have done that so anyway. If but like, any of our listeners are in a sorority, please <laughs> do let us know whether or not you would share a diva cup with your sorority. Sister. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I mean, I think that might be one of the most grosy things that I've ever encountered. And it was just, and like, also like just putting it in in front of other people. Again, I'm a very private person and and i would have made a great puritan because i have lots of repression so i understand that like um that i i'm not that person anyway but like it did occasionally go a little too uh too like female friendship but it was so refreshing to see a film where there was not a single catty female Mm -hmm. um where they were supportive of each other even when one of them you know was quote had quote, food poisoning, right? Yeah. Um, there was still, uh, you know, there was still this, like, genuine um, interest in their well-being. I also thought um, the boyfriend who, I think Nolan was his name, the one who um, was really good at the beginning and then had been, like, brainwashed there at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I thought he was nice. Like, they're, they kind of introduced him in a real, like, gentle way that didn't feel like, hey, notice that this is an ideal version of a boyfriend. Um, so I thought there were, like you said, a lot of really great points up until about the time we introduced the magic. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know, I don't know what would have been a good alternative. So 
if we were going to try to have this message that that there's something sort of systemically wrong um i don't think it would have been enough to just have them be doing it just because like i don't think that would have been enough um so i don't know what the alternative would have been because you needed something that elevated the stakes dramatically and unfortunately um as you pointed out we are so entrenched in a rape culture that rape doesn't feel dramatic enough yeah unto itself and i uh, see we we talked about with the 2006 version how frustrating it was because it didn't feel like it needed to be made and it didn't have anything interesting to add whereas the that is not what is frustrating about the 2019 version of black christmas what is frustrating about the 2019 version of black christmas is that it really does find the little nugget like it has something interesting to say it clearly wants to have a conversation about rape culture it's just that it isn't able to deliver that and i i agree with you i i'm struggling to figure out how given everything that we know about the movie and the context of it being a part of the black christmas uh larger franchise that it would be able to say that i just don't know i just don't know how it would do it without becoming either very serious mm -hmm. Um, and therefore maybe not a slasher film at all. Or again, going the, the sort of unrealistic route of, of the supernatural. I, I think maybe then, I honestly, it might have been better to have taken more of a 1973 Black Christmas approach in just where you like, you, you think you have it all figured out and you've got this like clear, clean motive all worked out but then it's not quite that simple. It was a different frat brother or something. And you just realize, oh, the, this culture will give, makes you feel like you can do this to women. It doesn't, it's not about that one guy who, uh, who committed this rape against the, ma or the main character. It really is just a larger problem. And maybe, some, but maybe something like that, I, I, I don't know, I'm spitballing here. But the moment you introduce that though, I think it ceases to be a slasher film that this film is still trying to be for financial purposes, right? Like <sighs> this film is, I think, trying to capitalize on, on the, my favorite, the, the horror Christmas season. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this, this isn't an A24 production, right? Yeah. This is a, a slasher film because I was thinking, like, okay, well, what if we found out that um, it actually wasn't the fraternity at all um, and that it was, like, the police force um, and then the fraternity actually comes to the rescue, but some of them are like, well, maybe we should. And the moment I started to, like, think about it, I was like, that's that's an, an, an Ari Aster film, right? That's not – that's an A24, we're going to go weird places and we're going to have characters that are going to be – not always good, but not always bad. Like that's that's just not. But that would have been more interesting. What this film was going to be, I, I, it would have been. I think we've already kind of established in our previous episodes we're not a super, we're not a big fan of just slasher for slasher's sake, and I think that this film really had the opportunity, and I think it even honestly maybe wanted to be more than a slasher for slasher's sake. It's just that it didn't the what it chooses to do and what it chooses to add to the slasher genre which is magic is just totally undermines so much of what the film is about what was important and what was what was important 
to driving home the film's themes. I will say that that there were a couple moments where the slasher for slasher film worked. But again, we're, we're taking out a huge chunk of, of the middle. I thought the, the first 10 or 15 minutes, um, it's not revolutionary by any stretch of the imagination to have it be not the person walking behind you. Yeah. Um, that's But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if, if you've ever felt this way, Anthony, but I mean, I can say that as a, as a female, I, I am often, you know, just like really aware of that person who's walking behind me. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it may not have been revolutionary in terms of something you'd never seen before, but it was touching on a, a legitimate fear that, that is grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, when she opens or when she knocks on the door and then, you know, it's the killer and then there's like the snow angel scene, yeah. you know, I was, I was down for all of that. That was fine. I think. One of the things that that happened as a result of the magic, though, that I I um, would have appreciated because I, I appreciated it being in the 73 film is this clear idea that in these scuffles, mm-hmm. if you will, there is a clear person in the right and a clear person in the wrong. Whereas I, I think that in, in the 73 film, you know, yes, Peter was too clingy and and like you argued, he's the villain, but but he didn't kill those people. And and arguably, if we're going to like try to paint Peter in a positive light, admittedly, he's had a rough 24 hours, right? Like finding out that you're not going to get to have a say and the life of, of your child, especially if you're conservative, right? Like, I mean, that's, we have to maybe think that maybe after this 24 hour period, he would have like cooled down. Um, so the film ends us with someone that, that we have to ask, you know, um, she's not a monster, but she's certainly not an innocent. Mm-hmm. She Whereas had blood on her hands. She had blood on her hands and in a way that, that is very ambiguous morally speaking mm-hmm. whereas in in the 2019 film there there are clear people that are always in the right um and that they can fight back however they need to without needing to think about what they're fighting might do to to the situation um and that yeah. that idea just kind of was a little like i don't know, you know i just thought of a a, a a slight change of how i think maybe perhaps the film could have could have if without changing anything that happened, so I ha- you have to include the magic elements. Uh, so they destroy the mat, they destroy the thing, they light the thing on fire, um, and they the film ends right about there where they're all outside and everything is good. I don't think the film should end there. I if you really want to develop in on this whole you are a fighter theme, that's something that's clearly important to the writers of this film. Well, then I think they should maybe have a conversation about like how it's over, but then. One of the other characters is like, it's not over. We're gonna have to continue mm-hmm. fighting. Like, you're not. They're not gonna believe us inherently, or like show it, or showing like more of like maybe more of what was like teased in like in Get Out, uh, where like the police show up and you're like, oh my god, are they gonna? They're not. This is not okay. They did just burn down this entire house and kill all those people in there. They're pro- Are they going to be believed? Are they? I don't know. You've been, you've spent the whole movie telling me that they wouldn't be believed. So why does this situation, now that you've destroyed the magic at the end, why does that change anything? 
I don't think it does. And I think just at least having that moment right at the end where you're like, oh, this is not a, they may not have, they may have like defeated those, those people, but they didn't, they didn't win. This fight is so much bigger than just that. I think you're absolutely correct. So as you know, I adore the idea of like what happens after, uh-huh. right? Because um, prison, right? Prison is what happens after. Like, you know, our system is just too broken to have it be any other way. Um, but it would be really interesting to have a subsequent film where all of these survivors have banded together and they are fighting, but they are now beginning to be unable to set to want to separate the supernatural um, from just the systemic, right? Mm. Like, and so kind of like, now that's a really dark film um, and that's not a slasher film, but it, but I think you're right that if in order for this film to be successful, it needed to, it needed to be prepared to go all the way instead of starting down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of good there. Like we, like, like we've said, I'll, there's a lot of good stuff here and it's and this is a film that clearly is trying and like it's got it's got the right intentions behind it it just the entire fit like failure of this film is in the execution there are two other things that i i want to mention um one of them is just a pet peeve and then one of them is 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 a more relevant thing so the pet peeve is is that it drives me absolutely batty when people make um films or books not even just horror just just in general tv shows anything where they just clearly have no idea how the institute about which they are writing works so the whole idea that like a tenured faculty member could be fired because a petition has been signed (laughs) is just utter nonsense and it just and i i think that it bothers me so much because Again, here was another missed opportunity that if we're going to talk about a system being broken, let's talk about a system that in, a, in an effort to make a right move, and that is to protect academic freedom, um, that, that that has been taken over by people who use that as a defense to teach uh, syllabi that are not uh, decolonized, um, that are not made into anything other than the traditional quote white male syllabus Mm -hmm. um like again there was just such a missed opportunity and and by making it just seem as straightforward as as long as we sign a petition that's again all that needs to happen um first off again not how that's not how tenure works um no second that again misses out on this really interesting systemic debate but the one thing that i did want to say that the one area where i think this film began to to do interesting things in terms of to go back to my favorite thing place um is by having the um so much of the film be not in their house in their in the sorority but in the fraternity Mm -hmm. um and to have these these penetrations um and the terrible place be almost just as much the one as the other and so there was some interesting things i think that you could read the the location and and the use of place in in these three films um i think that would for me allow me to to engage in things that wouldn't make me sad about some of the misses of the 2006 and the 2019 because i think in terms of place um 
they're they're doing exactly what they should for this like larger conversation with one another yeah those are some good final thoughts to, to end just on. some <laughs> final thoughts yes This ends our Black Christmas escapade. We are setting aside our holiday-themed episodes until the next holiday we decide to do an episode (laughs) for. But we are setting aside our Black Christmases, and we are returning actually to our other sort of um, series Mm -hmm. uh, because we are going to have our next episode be on Army of Darkness! Yay! So this is our third film. We've been kind of sprinkling in uh, Evil Dead along the way uh, because it's such a fun series to talk about. And each one feels like you're not talking about the Evil Dead franchise because it's so different. So we very much look forward to you uh, listening into that episode. And in the meantime, please be sure to follow us on social media, which are linked in the description. And go ahead and rate and review our podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell your friends about us. Thank you so much. Bye. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays.